This is the Bringing It All Back Home podcast. A podcast about South Jersey photography and creative projects around the world. My name's Charles, and or Chuck, if you know me from high school. Uh, and um, this podcast is titled Bringing It All Back Home. Uh, and the idea is to talk about creative creative projects, uh, particularly in my case, I guess, film photography in South Jersey, some digital, but mostly film, uh, but also to celebrate and get in touch with friends who I have not gotten in touch with in a while, people uh, who are spread about and see what they're doing, what what's bringing it all back home for them. I do know um, off the top of my head of some friends who have published poetry, published photography books, published autobiographies uh, and people who I don't know what they're doing you know so originally I think I was going to call this podcast like hey what are you up to or what are you up to the what are you up to podcast which I think just didn't quite have a ring to it uh, although I still kind of think that's sort of the theme uh, going into a project or talking about what your projects are finding out what you're up to what is it that inspires you right now uh, or or not, you know, it's okay not to not to always have an inspired inspired project. Uh, it's not like or it's an Apple campaign uh, or ad. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I kind of do want to see what people are up to. I do want to explore what the projects are are uh, are that get you going. And uh, and I think the concept of bringing it all back home is is could be literal. Uh, like in my case, I am back home where back in the same town where I grew up or, or bringing it all back home because it, it gets something you're working on is getting back to some core value that you like or, or that you enjoy or that, that, that makes sense to you or I don't know. It reminds you of Bob Dylan, something. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, we're, I'm going to come back with the next segment. Uh, and this is the very, very first version of this podcast, so it's going to be a bit crumbly. Uh, and uh, we'll, I'll be back after this break. Hey, thanks for coming back. <laughs> if you are still there, uh, this uh, imaginary listening audience. Um, yeah. So again, uh, I'm Charles. This is the Bringing It All Back Home podcast. Uh, this is this next segment that uh, kind of relates to what I've been doing uh, and what I just worked on this week. Um, unusually uh, involved week in terms of photography um, in a good way uh, because uh, I got to do two shoots um, pretty much three or four days apart. Uh, and the first one was kind of planned. Uh, a model who I've, whom I've, who I've worked with before, um, named Emma, uh, reached out and wanted to work again. Uh, and I had, uh, a spare day off in June that I had, uh, taken. Um, so we set up for that. Uh, and then of course it was, uh, it had to be canceled because of, uh, one or two things, including, uh, just endless thunderstorms. You know, we got hit with some amazing storms. Uh, so then the following Thursday, um, it looked good. I keep hitting the table, which is creating a sort of echoey sound. So sorry about that. I uh, just don't know what to do with my hands. Um, we got back together, uh, or at least we, we attempted to get the shoot back together the following week, uh, with the exception that um, it was an outdoor shoot, and we were aware that the temperatures were going into the 90s. Uh which is great if you're, uh, I don't know, 
practicing your uh, soccer skills or, you know, training for a marathon or something and you want to really test your heat endurance. But, uh, but for a model who just got some great makeup done and, uh, you know, <laughs> wants to do portrait shoots for, for almost two hours. Uh, yeah, working in, uh, I think it was about 93 heat, uh, which didn't really back down, um, was quite a challenge. Um, but we were both up to it, I think. And um, Emma did an amazing job, even though it was the kind of heat that would turn most people into just a ball of sweat. Uh, yeah, so it was it was uh, it was incredible because um, even though we'd worked there before, um, again we chose to work uh, earlier in the day, really really bright sunlight. But we um, we found a, a spot uh, in the, I guess about halfway through the shoot uh, where um, we climbed up on one of the trains, uh, and the train that uh, that Emma climbed on, hers had. Uh, uh, a bit of shade. So, so she was in the so-called open shade. Uh, and I was on another train that was connected to it, uh, to hers, uh, uh, facing her. And I was in the sunlight, but that didn't matter. Um, there was something about the way, uh, the light was filling, uh, you know, the, uh, it was creating a, uh, an incredible, even soft box effect. Now, I mean, that's nothing new, you know, in this, you, if it's bright out somewhere and you find shade, depending on where you are, uh, you may get at least an even look. You're not going to get any harsh shadows, but there was, uh, there was just something extra about the way the light was coming in. I mean, um, I've taken a couple of shots before, uh, I, I'm a, you know, when it comes to open shade, that was my favorite back at the pier, uh, people would be on a cigarette break and they would be in an open shade, but there was something about the way the light was bouncing around here that seemed as if I had some gigantic, uh, you know, enormous softbox, uh, because it was just so perfectly even lit, evenly lit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there were some of my favorite shots, um, so, uh, yeah, it was a great, great uh, experience, uh, particularly, uh, again, when it came to the lighting. And we also worked with uh, some other interesting ways to shoot. You know, like um, we were using the, you know, when you're out there, and, and, I, and I know most people who listen to this, if, if anyone's listening to this, maybe you haven't been out to this train station. I can assume that. Uh, it's a it's a collection of historical trains that are, are not going anywhere. Uh, and some of them are in wonderfully horrible shape, you know, just great rust and patina. Uh, and others are just, uh, you know, a great retro, I guess, 50s, 60s trains um, or older, of course. Uh, but yeah, so you, you, you have these converging lines uh, that you can work with any which way you turn. Uh, and we also did one where I was uh, standing up on, again, up on one of the trains and Emma was out on the tracks and uh, shooting uh, sort of up looking down. Uh, and that, that had some great perspective too. Um, but yeah, my all-time favorites were when we had this um, this open uh, fill shade thingy that um, that's going to be one of my favorites too. And, and again, I think I forgot to mention just a couple minutes ago that uh, um, it was giving um, porcelain look to her skin that was just terrific. It was just great. Uh, I don't know how to describe it very well. But again, that's the that is the thing with the podcast that I'm sort of talking about these shots instead of being able to show you. But uh, I think I'll be able to post a link, uh, perhaps, where you could see what the heck I'm talking about. Uh, and if you agree that um, there was some great lighting going on. 
The other thing I want to mention um, is uh, going out to any shoot now, um, my first thought is how can I bring my film cameras and what kind of film am I going to bring? And and, and I, I really definitely can see uh, if I keep this podcast going where I'm just, I am going to go into detail about my analog gear. Uh, and maybe for people who are looking to get into it for the first time or people who just want to compare specs. Um, but yeah, I, my uh, my go-to when it comes to um, the best quality uh, photos, literally the best quality photos, is to take out um, my old uh, Pentax 6 7, uh, which is just a medium format camera uh, gone crazy. It's just enormously um, uh, everything about it is, uh, is sort of standard looking, but huge. Uh, so the lens is bigger, the body's bigger. And of course, with medium format film, uh, it, that is bigger. And and the reason uh, that is that is so wonderful for people looking to get back into film is um, after you develop your film, you can scan medium format really, really well. Uh, it will uh, not require an expensive scanner. Uh, I've got a fairly cheap scanner, uh, Epson V550, which I think you could get for a hundred and some bucks, hundred 20, 150 bucks. Uh, and it just comes up with uh, great scans because the medium format film is so big. Uh, it's got more resolution and all that stuff. So yeah, I did bring out um, my Pentax, uh, brought out some uh, black and white film, some slow speed film, and, and that was terrific. Uh, anyway, so that's uh, the uh, first uh, shoot uh, that was um, just last Thursday. Um, I just finished editing those pictures last night. Um, but there actually are... Uh, Three more rolls of film I'm waiting to get back. Uh, one uh, slide film from Kodak, uh, Ektachrome, uh, which I haven't shot with in decades. Uh, and uh, and two more color slide films. I'm sorry, color uh, films from Portra. Um, regular 35 millimeter. Yeah, so the takeaway from that shoot, uh, and really why I love doing uh, a portrait shoot uh, still, uh, even though I'm not uh, a professional, I don't charge any money, they don't, uh, I, I don't do weddings and all that stuff, uh, is just the element of surprise, and, and hopefully I can learn some new stuff each time. And, and that was absolutely true. Uh, I was, uh, again, kind of delightfully uh, surprised about uh, something so obvious uh, <laughs> when it comes to the, the lighting. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I think um, uh, when it comes to getting inspired to, to work with uh, your gear and to work with uh, friends who want to who um, model or, or, or why you want to take pictures uh, in general, is, is hopefully there is something uh, that, that uh, surprises you and, and, and keeps you wanting to get, uh, get going. Uh, and, uh, and for this, uh, this shoot, um, uh, it, it definitely delivered in so many ways. Uh, there's a lot of favorites uh, from that uh, shoot on Thursday. Um, fast forward a couple of days. Uh, when it comes to the other type of photography I really enjoy, um, landscape uh, is still my all-time favorite. And uh, and just about four or five years ago, uh, I discovered uh, the process of doing um, photography uh, at night, uh, the dark sky stuff, uh, particularly uh, working with... Um, trying to capture the Milky Way, I have uh, an easily uh, accessible uh, moon calendar, which anybody can find uh, and add to their, uh, their phone, uh, which just sort of shows you, you know, where you are. Uh, and I knew that um, the new moon, uh, the moon that uh, uh, is uh, the time of uh, the, the, the lunar cycle where the moon is not going to interfere uh, with the dark sky. I knew that was coming up... Um, 
July second, uh, you know, and, and typically you have a little bracket time. So a couple of days before, a couple of days after that time, um, you're going to be guaranteed uh, some dark skies with the uh, condition that the weather cooperates, which is so rare. Um, really, really rare. Uh, I, I've found in my experience that uh, when um, I look into shooting uh, dark sky stuff in June or July or August, uh, it, it's typically those those days, uh, is that sorry? Uh, where, yeah, no, it's going to be cloudy. It's going to be humid. Uh, it's going to be overcast. Um, and the, and the brightest days, oh uh, yeah, they're when the, the moon is, is in full bloom, uh, and, uh, it's ruining the dark sky. Uh, but yeah, everything was lined up. Everything was perfectly lined up, uh, dark skies galore. Um, and, uh, that's where, uh, it gets interesting when people ask, uh, well, how do you do this stuff? How do you get to this, uh, this photo that shows the Milky Way? Um, typically the first question is the gear. What lenses are you using? What, what are your settings on your camera? Um, that's the least important. Uh, anyone's uh, SLR uh, can take this shot. Uh, anybody with uh, a relatively modern camera. So say any camera from at least mm, 2013 or 14 to now, anything within the last five or six years uh, can get these shots. It's not about the lens. It's not about the gear. It's about the lighting conditions and the weather. Um, so how does, how does that work? If you step outside uh, right now, like today, uh, it's June, July 2nd, um, great conditions tonight coming up. If you step outside, say, around 11 o'clock, and you look straight up, or if you're lucky enough to be on, on the coast, look out to the ocean, um, you're definitely going to see some stars. Yeah, so it's clear, it's dark, there's no moon. You should be able to see some stars. The problem, which sounds so obvious, though, is you don't really have a dark sky. So where you are, uh, you're typically surrounded by just too many lights, uh, the so-called light pollution uh, dilemma. Um, so when I got into this thing uh, about four or five years ago, I noticed that some photographers, uh, particularly a gentleman named Jack Fusco, uh, F-U-S-C-O, he's from South Jersey. You can look him up on Instagram. Um, he took some killer shots from both uh, Sea Isle, Avalon, uh, even Cape May. Um, so I went on a hunt, kind of, uh, went out and tried to find, um, what was, uh, anything relatively nearby, anything within 30, 40, 50 minute drive, uh, where it was darker, where I could start seeing the sky, uh, and really see the stars. And, um, I found the, the easiest place was uh, a little stretch, uh, in Sea Isle City, uh, where, um, it was incredible. It really uh, is uh, um, remarkable because it's obviously unplanned. I don't think any of the city uh, engineers or, or people that decide on how many lights to uh, include on the roads or the houses, um, there is just this little stretch, and, I, and, and it's very, very small, where for some reason, once you park your car, get over the dunes, and look up in the sky, you've got a dark sky that's completely different than anything you're going to see if you were in um, Ocean City, if you were in uh, Margate Venter, uh, and of course Atlantic City, where you, where there's just so much light you're not going to see anything. So yeah, so really the first step if you want to do dark sky photography is get to a location that's not um, overwhelmed with floodlights, streetlights, um, and it's uh, it it is kind of remarkable uh, in the sense that. 
on some of the roads leading off the island here, um, <clears throat> particularly the uh, the Longport to Summers Point Road, there's a couple of amazing opportunities for uh, Milky Way stuff. And and if it was just down to a single floodlight, <laughs> um, if that one floodlight was gone, you'd probably be able to shoot right right off the island here. Um, but no, somebody decided they needed to uh, keep a really, really strong light protecting their abandoned boats or something. So anyway, uh, I found out that the uh, it looked like the conditions were on. Uh, as soon as I left work on Sunday, I knew I had to get home and get ready uh, for the shoot. So what does that entail? Uh, pretty much getting all the, everything ready to go. So when you do step out, onto the beach, you're not futzing around, you know? So that's like setting up the camera to, uh, I like to go to uh, manual, of course, ISO 3200, 22nd exposure, um, and, uh, and getting my little remote shutter thingy uh, ready, making sure everything's working, you know? Uh, making sure you, your batteries are good, making sure you still have your car, camera card in there. You know, you, all the stupid stuff you could forget, which uh, people can, including myself, forget. Um, so then, yeah, uh, I get out, I drive relatively short distance down to Seattle, get out of my car, uh, grab my bag, grab my tripod, uh, walk up to the dunes, look up. It just looks gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. You're, you're suddenly back in the stars, uh, seeing so many stars again. And, and yeah, with the naked eye, you can start seeing the curve, uh, the arc of the Milky Way. Um, kind of hard to describe, but your eyes, as, as they adjust to the darkness, uh, will start making out a little bit of a, a whitish curve, a whitish arc, <clears throat> whereas um, you're not literally seeing the gases with your naked eye, uh, at least not down here in Jersey, um, which I've been told you can see in other locations where you have a perfect dark sky. Um, and the first test or the first trick is to get your focus right. Uh, so you turn on your live view, uh, you point your camera lens at the brightest star, uh, and then you manually focus. Because uh, so, the reason is if you just turn your lens to infinity, uh, most lenses just don't quite have the right spot there. So you got to just kind of fiddle it, fiddle with it a little bit, get the, uh, the farthest brightest star um, appearing in the live view. Uh, and as you turn the manual focus, you can start seeing this little tiny circle gets smaller and that's when you're hitting it. Once it's at the smallest and clear, uh, you basically uh, stop, try not to bump the manual focus, um, put your camera back down where you want to take your first shot and, and fire away. And, and then it just sort of becomes a game of composition. You know, like can you get something in the picture uh, where you're getting most of the good uh, part of the sky, um, meaning there are, you know, there are bad parts. Uh, so if you go a little bit too far to the right, you're getting the light pollution from Wildwood and Seattle. If you go a little bit too far to the left, you're getting the light pollution from Ocean City, Atlantic City. Uh, but what I had brought with me this time um, was a something was a something was something to uh, help do light painting. And this was something I discovered last summer. Uh, believe it or not, uh, um, I read a lot about it. I watched all the videos about it. I went on Amazon and got the necessary gear. But I just never had a chance to go out and test it. Um, this is all a link to um, a couple from Montreal. Uh, named, uh, the, the person behind it particularly is named Eric, Eric Paré. I think it's P-A-R-E. But yeah, if you Google light painting uh, Eric Paré, um, you will find his YouTube channel. 
and him and his wife uh, are artists. They are true artists. And what they put together, uh, not just with uh, Milky Way stuff, but just practically anywhere, are these amazing light painting techniques um, that just that go beyond the normal, <laughs> the normal stuff you see. Uh, they are making amazing art. And what I love about it is it's not Photoshopped. This is not a composite. They don't do some amazing stuff in a studio and then, you know, superimpose that over a lake or uh, uh, something in Iceland or something because they've gone around the world doing their stuff. Um, no, this stuff is done in real time. It's a kind of performance art. Um, and, uh, and it involves um, these basically uh, three foot simple plastic tubes. Um, which uh, they then play around with. They put some uh, strong flashes on one end in them. Uh, they use some uh, gels uh, inside the tubes to change the color. Uh, they've even done things on the other end with sparklers. And typically what they'll do is they'll set their flashlights to strobe. And what Eric does is uh, his wife's a, a ballet dancer. He'll set the camera in front of her, take some test shots, and then he'll set it on a timer. And then he'll run around and go behind her. And just as the camera's doing a relatively long uh, or short-ish long, uh, long exposure, whatever, whether it's a second or 15 seconds, 20 seconds, he's waving the tube behind her, which is creating, again, the flashlights are strobing. Um, and he creates, with that real-time effect, um, these amazing-looking uh, light painting patterns. Um, so anyway, I had never tried this stuff before at all. I didn't have an assistant, of course, I'm out there so and uh, I just figured I'd wing it. So, so what I was doing was just letting the camera continuously fire to get the Milky Way. So I had the remote setting to just keep firing. So every 20 seconds it takes a picture, pauses a second, takes another 20 seconds. And I can't really even see, uh, looking at the camera, where it is, whether it's starting another shot whether it's in the middle of a shot. I just figured, let me just guesstimate this stuff. Uh, so I was practicing spinning it in one direction, spinning it in another, maybe counting in my head uh, at least a minute or two, coming back to the camera, taking a look at what, what, what um, got recorded. Uh, and yeah, I kind of lucked out on one or two shots where I was at least able to get a definable uh, circle. So I was sort of facing the ocean, spin, oh, <laughs> sorry, spinning this tube. Uh, and uh, it, kind of got some of the effect uh, I was looking for, but it really inspired me to kind of go out and continue um, and get it. Um, but again, uh, I'm a really, really big fan of trying to get a camera technique um, in real time. I mean, not to knock Photoshop composites, but that's not my thing. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a Photoshop artist. Um, uh, I respect people who are brilliant at Photoshop, but I love the idea that uh, in real time, you're getting something on the camera that looks kind of magical uh, without the use of uh, adding elements later. Uh, so yeah, so all once I got the shot back, um, I basically just uh, applied a little bit of uh, white balance adjustment because the light pollution on both ends of the sky uh, tends to introduce a kind of orange color. So you just fiddle with the white balance, cool it off a little bit, or, or change the tint maybe to less green, back to magenta, whatever it is. Um, and uh, that was about it. You know, I, I really didn't need to do much with the photo. Uh, it looked pretty cool. So, so yeah, that's going to wrap. Um, I'm about 25 minutes in right now. Uh, and, uh, yeah, thank you for, if you've survived this long, uh, for uh, listening to this first attempt at a podcast. Uh, it is uh, interesting. Um, 
And just as a recap, as a uh, ending here, why uh, did I start a podcast? Uh, a very uh, good old friend uh, who um, some people may know uh, as a former DJ, and she's now uh, an instructor uh, that also uh, does a lot of yoga stuff, and uh, she's sort of a trainer. Uh, she wanted to do both a podcast and a video log, and uh, called me up for help. And I'm like, well, I've never done a podcast, really, at least not with some of the latest tools. Uh, so I said, let me just try to do one. So I'm doing this um, on my uh, computer right now with a uh, USB microphone. And uh, I'm going to use this um, uh, Anchor app uh, to see if this will help me post it. Uh, so maybe, you know, part of the podcast will be about how to make a podcast. But yeah, generally, uh, if I keep this going, which I would like to, uh, this should be about uh, South Jersey photography, uh, analog photography, and reaching out to people um, uh, who I know both uh, here and overseas to see what, uh, what they're working on and what kind of stuff uh, is going on. So thank you one more time for staying on this long. Uh, and thanks for listening to the Bring It All Back Home podcast.